0: This man must've dozed off for a second or some, cause the car swerved an inch or two. Now it wasn't nothing serious, but it sure was enough to wake me up out of my sleep. After looking upside his head for a second or two with a raised eyebrow, my eyes went outside the car window. And wow, Nashville was beautiful. We were going up some hill and it was these big old beautiful mountains everywhere, as far as the eye could see. Now, I had been to Nashville before for one of my cousin's graduations or some, but that was umpteen years ago and I was a little girl so I really don't remember much of it. After staring at the view for a while, I started scrolling on my phone. Now this was back in 2011 so the internet still wasn't really doing all of that, especially not like it is today. So it wasn't much I could do on the phone but scroll. And that's even if the phone service allowed me to, but still, I scrolled anyway just pretending to be occupied with some so it wouldn't be so awkward between me and this man. Seeing as how I was just getting to know him, I didn't really have nothing much to say to him, so I just stayed quiet and pretended to scroll. I could tell he was a bit nervous too though, cause he kept trying to crack jokes every other moment. And me, being the goofy person that I am, I laughed at him. Some of them wasn't even really funny, but I laughed anyway just to let him know that he was in good company and that just like him, I was a little nervous too. A few moments later, I dozed off again, and the next thing I knew, we was coming down some long road and these houses were some of the biggest houses I'd ever seen. I mean, I have seen houses like this before, don't get me wrong. I ain't finna be on here exaggerating like I'm some old black mammy slave or a country bumpkin who ain't never seen big houses before and that this was my first time outside of Master's
1: Cotton Field. <laughs>
0: child I wasn't that green but anyway these houses were beautiful and if anybody had ever been to Memphis and then they came to Nashville afterward trust me they know the difference and here I was seeing the difference the sky was bluer the air was cleaner and kids were outside playing folks sitting on their porch drinking lemonade talking look like they having a good old time watching the kids play It kind of reminded me of the hood a little bit, except the rich version. And with the exception of everybody being white instead of black, (laughs) I looked for a couple miles and it wasn't a black person in sight. I started thinking, Lord Jesus, my mama didn't really let me get in the car with this man and to go hundreds of miles away, all because he played us a song. For all we knew, this man could have been the next black girl serial killer or some. But thank God he won, because if he was, I would have been in trouble. We pulled up to this man's house, and it was beautiful. They had this big, beautiful guest room ready for me, and it just looked so peaceful. Now anybody who knows me knows I love to decorate so I noticed every little detail about this guest room and I remember them having this coral pink pillow and this blue and white floral duvet cover. It was just adorable to me. Matter of fact, it was so adorable that when I moved into this big house with my mama a few years later, I did my bedroom just like it. But we'll get into that later, I don't want to jump ahead of the story. Anywho. His wife, let's just call her Rachel, told me to make myself at home and she hugged me. But one thing about me, if I pay attention long enough and hard enough, I can pick up pretty much on anything. And just from that hug and that forced smile she'd just given me, I could tell she wasn't too at ease. She must have stepped back and looked at me after hugging like, who is this pretty young black girl you done brought up in my house? <laughs> but all she could manage to say was, wow, you are so pretty. Now, I'm not sure what she was thinking in that moment, but it did take her a while to come around and get used to me. And she did. And child, when she did get used to me, we was sitting up talking, watching the bold and beautiful soap operas together, talking about Brook getting together and Ridge and all they drama, drinking wine and eating cashews like we were some good old high school friends. But honestly, I'm a realist, so I don't even blame her for being standoffish at first. I'm sure any woman would be like, what in the world is going on if their husband brought home some young pretty girl talking about she's about to be his new artist? Music or not, any woman would be like, um, okay, I hear you, but baby, she can go be a new artist at a hotel or you can call a car for her to go pick up in the morning to meet you at the studio or something. <laughs> so, trust me, I get it, Rachel. I get it. Anywho, this man had two sons and a daughter, but the youngest son was the only one that lived there. The other two were older, so this youngest son, let's just call him Daniel. Well, Daniel, he was like a little brother to me. I had some SpongeBob DVDs that I left in the DVD player one day. And y'all, that boy must have laughed till he was crying. He sat on the couch all day and I marveled cause sometimes it was hard to get him still. But for Spongebob, he sat on the couch all day and didn't move until that last Spongebob episode ended. Once I knew he liked Spongebob, just like I did, we would both sit on the couch and eat snacks and watch it together for hours. Well, that's when I wasn't working in the studio with Uncle P. Oh... That's right. That's his name, by the way. That's the name I gave him after about six months of us being around each other. My nickname for him was Uncle P. And his nickname for me was Money T. (laughs) He said it was because I was going to make us a lot of money one day. And I laughed when he gave it to me. But regardless of my nickname and regardless of how he looked at me, maybe he looked at me like I was an investment. Maybe he looked at me like I was a daughter or a niece. Maybe he looked at me like I was neither. I'm not sure. But regardless of it all, that man did more for me than any other man I have ever met in my life. Whether it was for investment sake, for us to be big together one day, or just out of the kindness of his heart cause he believed in this little old black girl. Or maybe it was all three, I don't know. Nevertheless, it didn't matter because he did more for me than any uncle, dad, or mama's boyfriend combined. And I know that that's a very sad thing to say, but it's the truth. And what's even more sad of a thing to say is that to this day, one of the best men I ever knew was white (sighs) black man black man Mm. anyway once my mama saw that this man was serious about me and even told my mama he would give her a thousand dollars on the moving truck to make sure we got our butts up here she talked to my aunt about moving up here with us and just like that Here we were. We left that old Memphis behind and we were living in a nice apartment in Nashville. And guess who was right there with us? Hope. And for a little while, things were just, they were good. But as y'all know, what was the tale of my life, that hope only lasted so long. And once again, in May of 2012, that hope was almost snatched from us forever that was the month I almost died. I mean, we had just moved there, and I couldn't even get my foot on Nashville's good ground, and here come the enemy, already with an attack. Now, one thing y'all got to know about me is that I ain't stunned no Satan, and I could care less about his ugly, bald-headed self and what he tries to do to me. But once again, just like when I used to get touched on by my uncle, and all them other terrible things happened to me, and I said, man, it's so crazy how all these moments seem to be set up so perfectly by the enemy no one could hear me cry no one could hear me begging for help no one knew and yet here he go again with his bald head itself trying to set up another moment like that and just like in all them times when i felt no one was there with me no one would be here with me too I had just heard the good news about this record company executive flying out to see me. And although my mom would be leaving the next day and I would be going to Uncle P's house to practice for this show I had to put on for this executive, my mama wanted to celebrate with me before she left town. So we decided to go to this fancy Chinese restaurant. Now, we'd been here before, and the first time we came, it was with my aunt, sweetie, and my little cousin, Kenzie, who moved up here with us. But when we left the restaurant that night, we couldn't make sense of why all of us was so dang on itchy, but we didn't think none of it. Because we was going from hotels and looking for houses and apartments to move in... And I got a real funny story about one of them houses. Looked like it was some of Amityville horror. That white woman know good and well we wasn't finna move into that scary looking house. Me and Kenzie went outside and laughed till we cried. Showing us that mess. We ain't white, we black. So baby, the answer is no. We finna say no to you and no to this Amityville house of horror part two, okay? anyway (laughs) we didn't think none of it because while we were looking for apartments we slept in a few hotels and we figured it was the hotel sheets so we took some benadryl and a few days later that itching went away for everybody my mama after we went to the chinese restaurant left for memphis the next morning my aunt sweetie and cousin kenzie were already there so nobody was here with me Uncle P would be coming to pick me up every day for rehearsal, and then when rehearsal was over he'd drop me back off at home at night. The next day, after eating this food, when Uncle P saw me, he looked like he'd seen a ghost. He said, to Kaya, your face! I had rushed out of the house so fast I didn't even look at myself cause I overslept and he was blowing a horn for me to get my butt downstairs. We went to the studio for a couple hours, but when he saw that something was wrong with me, he called his wife and told her he had to take me to the hospital. So he did. Unfortunately for me, the hospital was in an upscale white neighborhood, and them women must have looked at him with that wedding band on and looked at me without one and figured I was some young black concubine he'd been cheating on his wife with because, baby, them white women treated me horribly and they scolded me and told him after only 45 minutes of being there and them running zero tests on me they told him she'll be all right be just go home and give us some Benadryl. and them funky low down you know what okay <laughs> okay jesus takaya you saved now I'm sorry y'all, but them low down white women was about to let me die. They didn't even prescribe me no Benadryl. They told him to go from across the counter and buy some. And that was it. I hate to this day that my mama didn't have enough anger in her to go back and sue their hospital for everything that they had because we would've won that lawsuit. Anywho, Uncle P nodded his head and of course with him being a white man, he didn't see what I could clearly see. He thought they were telling him something that was gonna really help heal me. Yeah, so he took fine. off flying down the street to this drug store in this neighborhood before they closed. And he looked across that counter and got me some of that Benadryl. He told me to stay in the guest room that night just so he could keep an eye on me. The next morning, I came into the living room and sat on the couch and by this time, my hands were starting to swell and I could tell he was nervous. But this was around the time when his wife was still getting used to me at the very beginning of our relationship. So she agreed with that same advice them terrible nurses gave him and she too said I would be fine and that I needed to go home. When he looked at me and I got out that car, I could tell he was nervous when he dropped me off cause he even drove slowly out the parking lot. Me, not knowing what an allergic reaction was, I didn't think none of it. I'ma just take this medicine these women told me to take and I'ma be all right. Shoot, you know us black folks, whether we're in pain or not, we got it. That's the way life didn't always been for us. And we just learned to deal with it that same night. Only a few hours after dropping me off, my feet began to swell and my whole right eye closed up. I could barely see through my left eye. My hands were huge. And overall, my body was starting to look like somebody had took some helium and pumped me up with it. I could barely stand. I could barely speak. And when I tried to get up to go to use the bathroom, y'all, I was in so much pain. I cried in agony. My feet felt like them sores in the Bible that Job talked about. You know, them sores that the Bible said was on the bottom of his feet that he was scraping with the rock. Well, I felt just like that. Not to mention, my body felt like it was on fire from the inside out. I was in so much pain that once I used the bathroom that night, I didn't get up out of that bed again. Not to eat, not to get a sip of water, not to get nothing to drink. I didn't get up for nothing. The next morning, my breathing was short and I managed to have just enough strength to call my mama and just enough strength to take a halfway picture of my face because I could barely see now. I told her I wasn't feeling too good and that this over-the-counter Benadryl these nurses told Uncle P to get one working. She was at work and told me she'd call me back later. When she got off work a few hours later, I couldn't move. She called me and I couldn't even pick up the phone. She ended up going to one of my aunt's houses and thank God she did. When she went over there, she showed my Aunt Jay a picture of me. You know, that same aunt I told y'all about who caught them boys in my sister's closet all them years ago. Anywho, that same aunt. She said my aunt almost liked to scream when she saw him. And because she was my mama's big sister, she commanded her, no, we need to get up right now and drive up there to Nashville. Of course, I didn't know all of this was going on because I couldn't move anymore or answer the phone. I just heard it kept ringing and ringing. And it was my mother's ringtone, back to back. But by this time, my body had gone numb. I wanted to answer so badly, cause it ain't none like your mama's voice or her presence when something going wrong. So I was like, Lord, if I can just move a finger to answer the phone for her, then I would feel safe and know that I would be okay. But I couldn't move. All I could do was lay there in this bed and cry. (sighs) I woke up a few hours later and I heard my aunt screaming and I could barely see my mama's face but when she stood over me to look at me I felt the tear fall from her eye landed on my arm and I could just feel her presence and I knew it was her and she must have went right into nurse mode cause she was screaming, call the ambulance now. And after that, I started fading in and out. Some firemen came and got me and as they picked me up I could hear even one of them saying, oh my God. They covered me with the robe, carried me down those apartment stairs and the ambulance rushed me to the hospital. My body had swelled up. I was 10 pounds bigger than what I normally was. My veins were almost out of my skin and both of my eyes were closed shut now. The doctor told my mama that if she would have waited any longer to get me, even an hour later, and she would have been planning a funeral because I would have been dead. My throat was only a few moments away from being completely closed up Yeah. I was in ICU for a week and I was in and out of it the whole time. I barely remember any of it except for what I'm telling y'all. But there were a few moments that I do remember very vaguely. I remember waking up and seeing this white man. This man who I was calling my Uncle P at my hospital bedside crying like a baby and saying a prayer for me. Then my eyes closed again. The next time they opened, I remember seeing a demon about two feet tall in the corner of this hospital room laughing at me while he stared at me from across the room. He had to be a little imp, he was so little. Looked like he ain't had much power. And then as quickly as I saw him, he disappeared and my eyes closed again. The next time they opened, I remember being surrounded by my family and the crazy thing is that's the first time I ever really felt loved by all of them at once it's a shame that folks gotta pretty much die before people show them just how much they care for them you know and not just with my family but in all families I just don't think it should be like that but it is I mean i had one of the most meanest aunts who had treated me wrong my whole life braiding my hair in the shower so this was truly a miracle to me and i don't mean just mean uh get out my face or y'all kids go outside and play but i mean hateful mean I'll never forget my auntie Sweetie had me and my little cousin Kenzie write out Christmas lists and I must have seen this black baby doll with black hair and rubber brown skin on TV and y'all I wanted this doll so bad this doll could eat, drink milk, cry, poop, everything <laughs> and it looks so real. I wanted that doll so bad that's all I ever talked about for Christmas. I was with my aunt Sweetie, Kenzie and this aunt I'm telling you about now. Let's call her Aunt Tina. We was all together one day at Walmart and I must have seen that doll in Walmart. I ran and told my aunts and I held it and played with it in the store for as long as I could before it was time to go. My aunt's sweetie told me, okay, we'll see what Santa brings and smiled back at me. Now, I was nine and in the fourth grade, so I wouldn't believing in no Santa no more. But I did smile back at her Cause my aunt sweetie smiled And I knew that that meant She was gonna get this doll for me I was so happy I was practically skipping out of Walmart Just like I did when I used to eat candy And lie for my sister and brother We got into the car And drove to Aunt Tina's house To drop her off at home Y'all my Aunt Tina got out that car And had this big Walmart bag And right in front of me She pulled out that same doll that I was just playing with in the store and gave it to my little cousin, Kenzie, right in front of me. Do y'all hear me? I mean, how you do something like that to a nine-year-old child? And I mean did it on purpose because I remember the smile on her face when she did it. It was evil looking. And I screamed and cried until my face turned blue. Now that moment didn't last too much longer. Because my aunt sweetie, the sweetest aunt I got, went back to Walmart and got me that doll, just like I wanted. She gave it to me a few weeks later. (laughs) Man, I love her. But I'm just trying to get y'all to understand how I felt. That same aunt, that aunt Tina told me on another occasion when I was 16 years old and we used to live next door to each other at one of these family cookouts she had at her house. This is what this woman told me. They was having barbecue and everybody brought their dishes to the cookout, but she did most of the cooking. I walked next door to come over and I set my dish down on the table, said hey to all my cousins and aunts who was sitting down eating, having a good old time. She must have put that plate into my hand so hard and looked dead at me and said, you can take your plate of food and go home. You don't have to stay here. My eyes went to everybody sitting down laughing and having a good time. And I thought, why I got to go home? I left that plate and ran out of that house crying. I remember it very, very well. She was also the same aunt that told me right to my face in my mama's house that I'd never be anything and I'd be singing in the back of a church choir for the rest of my life. Now, I'm not one to bring up people's sins because we've all fallen short of the glory of the Lord. And on the next few episodes, y'all gonna hear all about me and my dirty sins. But I'm telling you this so I can get you to feel how I felt when I woke up. And seeing this woman washing my hair in the shower And her and my mama giving me a bath in this hospital Cause I still couldn't move yet Now, our relationship is nothing like that now And God is the reason it's not like that no more So really quick, I'm gonna insert this little backdrop story Before I move on Just because I want God to get the glory for a moment out of this I must have been in my room on a fast or something. And this was after she told me and my mama, I'm going to be singing in the back of a church choir for the rest of my life. I prayed, Lord, what are we going to do about this woman and why she hate me so much? When I asked him for some instructions, he told me, go buy her a gift. And after you buy her the gift, sit at her feet and rub them. I said, you want me to do the what with the what with the feet and the who with the what where now? <laughs> I said, no, I'm going to need about three more confirmations before I go and do that. I need Gabriel or somebody to come down from heaven and confirm this to me in a dream. Because I can't be hearing right. <laughs> Once I come down, I asked the Lord again. And the Holy Spirit gave me the same instruction again. I could not ignore this after a few days i said okay god i'll do it i went to the store and picked out some stuff i thought she'd like and bought her a few pink things because she was a cancer survivor i got a nice card and wrote her a word of prophecy on it that i felt led by the lord to say to her i cried as i was putting that gift bag together and i even took some holy oil and anointed the bag before i gave it to her The next day, after I prayed over it, I went and took her that gift and she must have looked at me so shocked. She asked me, why did I give this to her? It wasn't her birthday, it wasn't Christmas, and I just told her I felt led to. She told me to come in, she was about to watch a movie and she asked me, did I want to watch it with her? She didn't really say much about the gift at the time, cause I'm sure it caught her off guard. But she did look at me a few times, and I just pretended to not see it out the corner of my eye. She got real quiet and sat down on the couch. And as I started praying silently, asking the Lord, Lord, how am I gonna ask this woman to rub her feet for her? Lo and behold, she pressed the button that made her seat recline, and she kicked up her feet. I didn't even ask. I just sat right under that chair, got some nearby body lotion that she had and started rubbing her feet for her. Now your girl is skilled when it comes to the massages with these hands. <laughs> so a few moments later she was knocked out. I got up, washed my hands, grabbed my purse, and I looked back at her and I told her I loved her. Now she couldn't hear me cause she was knocked out asleep, but I just wanted to leave some love in the air anyway. I closed the door as quiet as I could, and that was it. A few weeks later, my mama had this real nice sisters' event, and me and my brother catered it. It wasn't nobody there but my mama and her five sisters, me, my cousin Kenzie, and another cousin who was a church leader, and my cousin Kay. My mama wanted it private like that, just for her sisters, because we had a big family to this day, I don't know why she didn't keep that up because it was some beautiful moments that took place that night and a lot of healing. It was a lot of stories being passed around and a lot of tears and a lot of them grew up with crazy problems and situations just like I did. In the midst of that night, my Aunt Tina, right after I served them all pasta and salad and picking up all their plates and now I had brought out the brownies and ice cream and I gave them all a piece. She looked at me with tears in her eyes and stood up and in front of that whole room she said she was sorry to me for everything she had ever done and that she just didn't really feel loved a lot of times. I hugged her and told her I forgived her. And me and my cousin Kenzie, we were taking pictures, recording a few moments and we was just watching everybody and we were so happy. We were teary eyed. It was just really beautiful. A few months after that, I done went to spend the night with her. We done watched movies and curled up in the bed together. She cooked breakfast the next morning. We done been on the phone praying for one another. And the last time I talked to her, I prophesied to her. And the last time I saw her, back sometime last year in 2022, I was over there visiting her from Cali, where I live now. And she told me to get $50 out of her purse and just gave it to me. So our relationship is the way it is because of God and obedience but had I not done what God was telling me to do I don't believe I would have ever saw that breakthrough for us and I know that this is way off track and I'm gonna get back to the story but I just pray that any of you who God is telling to do something let that be a lesson to you that listening to God is beneficial and it's beneficial to you If God tells you to do anything and it goes against what you naturally want to do, that's usually how you know it's God. (laughs) But don't miss your moment due to pride or disobedience because you could be missing out on a chance for God to do something beautiful in your life. Anyway, let me go ahead and get back to the story now. I reckon I didn't tear it there for too long. Nevertheless, back then at the age of 18 years old, none of what I just mentioned had happened yet. So in this moment, waking up, seeing this woman braiding my hair and her and my mama bathing me, I just, I didn't know. And a part of me was like, man, you gotta take all of that for you to show someone you care for? Speaking of, now that I'm thinking about it, that's around the same time when Uncle P's wife started treating me better, too, and she wasn't really distant no more after that. Anywho, moving on. After we record, it fade away. I started meeting people, and all of these people was white. I mean, I I didn't care one way or another. I'm just telling you how it was. My new big brother, Sadie, who could play the guitar like he was Jimi Hendrix Jr., he was white. The drama was white. The producers were white. The engineers was white. My last name was white. I mean, it wasn't nothing black in sight. Except for me and this one black guy who came to record this piano part on his song for Uncle P. It was a song I wrote called Walls and Child that black boy could play them keys. He played them keys like his life depended on it and him and Sadie hold that wall song up you know what hold up now i ain't gonna play the whole song for y'all because i know we gotta get back to the story and it seems like every episode this testimony keep getting pushed further and further out <laughs> but just let me play a 30 second clip of it so you can hear them keys and that guitar that i'm trying to tell y'all about and you can understand why i was so excited about this black man so hold on i'm gonna play this and we're gonna get back to the story y'all hear that? Did y'all just hear <laughs> what I just heard? Man, them boys tore their song up. And you know, it was just like that. That's how my days was. Surrounded by all these talented folks who was starting to feel like my family. And everybody just so happened to be white. But the crazy thing was, other than the color of they skin, I couldn't even tell. We all just fit. It was like... We were some missing puzzle pieces that had been scattered everywhere all across the states and we were just now coming back together by a mighty hand from heaven. And that's just how it was in them days. I was writing songs back to back, Uncle P was getting a lot of more people to come out to the shows to see me perform. And it was just hope, good vibes, and a lot, a lot of white people. Alright, I guess I can stop saying that now because I think y'all get the point. (laughs) Anywho, next thing I knew, child my boyfriend was white. By now, we'd been in Nashville a year, and when me and my mama got our own apartment in those same apartments my Aunt Sweetie lived in, we just moved a few rows over. By this time, I started a part-time job at Kroger as a cashier just so I could have something to do when I wasn't in the studio. Besides, I'd never worked my own job before and I wanted my own little money and I'd always wanted to work. And once Kroger told me they paid weekly, then that was it for me and I was happy to be working. And while I was working there, there was this little country white boy who was flirting with me and just kept being nice to me. I don't even remember exactly how we got together. All I remember is this boy asking me to come over one day at an outside camping thing and I saw another black girl with a white boy and they were engaged I believe. When I saw that, I felt a little bit more at ease, I ain't gonna lie. Me and her talked and laughed and come to find out her and her boyfriend worked at Kroger too, right along with me and Corey. Until that party, I hadn't even seen them before. But afterwards, child, I saw them folks kissing together and hugged up almost every other day that I was like, how on earth did I even miss this? Ew! (laughs) I'm kidding. But they really did love each other, though. You could just tell. That night, Corey made these delicious pumpkin chocolate chip cookies that were as soft as muffins. And, child, after I tasted that cookie, I was hooked. (laughs) A few days later, he asked me to be his girlfriend, and I quickly said yes. Truth be told, he could have gotten me to marry him just from them cookies alone. For a minute or two, I thought he'd put a spell on me with them because every weekend I had to have them, and he was making them, and I was addicted to (laughs) them. But old kind, sweet little Cory, he ain't put no spell on me. He was saved, and them things was just delicious, y'all. I'm telling you, I tried to make them myself, and mine are good, but they ain't nothing compared to Cory's. We dated, and he was just so nice. He opened up my car door every time. I was waiting on him to stop opening it, and he never stopped. He kissed me on my cheek. And sometimes my hand. And he wouldn't even kiss my lips unless I first initiated it. Y'all, one day this man bought me a big bouquet of flowers and put them outside my door for no reason. He found out what my favorite Starbucks coffee was. And he bought me coffee every time we had to work together in the morning. He was just a good man. Now, he was the adventurous type. And y'all know how they be. A little too adventurous sometimes but anywho one day Corey had me climb the top of some building to overlook Nashville and see the stars and I like to slip my foot trying to climb this building behind him and I yelled out Corey are you crazy and he said to Kaya do you trust me I wanted to say boy this ain't no Aladdin and I ain't no Jasmine don't you hold out your hand talking about some do I trust you heck no I don't trust you or this building you got me over here trying to climb up like I'm some billy goat Last time I checked, I was no billy goat and wasn't no bad sound coming out of me. So what is we doing up here,
1: Corin?
0: Woman, just come on. <laughs> he was laughing the whole time I was fussing at him, and he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Once he grabbed my hand and pulled me up, the next thing I knew, we was on top of this building with this beautiful view, and I could see the stars. It was a little chilly out, so he took off his jacket and put it around me, and we just talked. I don't know how we got on this, but somehow we got on my childhood. Now, I didn't know him for that long, so I didn't tell him too much, but I told him enough. I guess back then I was really suffering internally with it, and whatever man came along who I felt was nice, I just talked to him about it, honestly. I really just wanted someone to try to make sense of it all and wanted to know why so much happened to me growing up. But people just got quiet when I started talking and they were in disbelief. I remember one girl telling me to be quiet because she didn't want to hear anymore. I looked over at this girl and she was bawling. I must have looked at her crazy and was like, baby, this is life. This is life. She'd never heard none like this now i'm more careful and unless i feel led like unfortunately god's making me do now then i actually won't speak on it but back then i truly just needed a hug and a listening ear and in that moment that's what he gave me he listened and when i was finished he hugged me and kissed me on my forehead after that we just sat there, staring at the stars on top of this two, three-story building. And it was beautiful. About a month later, he brought me home to meet his parents, and they loved me. He came to every show I had that he could come to and supported me all the way. He was so nice to me, and I, I wanted to do something nice for him. so. A week later, I heard he was about to take some kind of family camping trip or some, I must've bought that man everything I could think of. When that lady said that the total was over $100, I said, well, not much left over. I may as well spend the whole check. Then I looked at this camping bag and said, how much for the camping bag? She told me $40, and I added that to the bill too. I surprised him with it one night when he came over and he said, no woman ever did anything like that for him. And he was about to cry. I kissed him, cause I felt happy that he was happy. And that's the way it was in Nashville. It seemed like life was gonna be better for me. And it was beautiful at the beginning. It was show after show, me and Corey getting closer. Uncle P getting my name out there. Folks packing out these underground venues. Every time me and the band would perform. White folks coming up to me marveling at me. Saying all kinds of things I'd never heard. One white man after my show one night. Came up to me to tell me just how amazing I was. After my performance. He grabbed my hand and just stared at me in my eyes. Like he was trying to figure out where on earth I came from. Corey one day that night. Because I'm sure if he would have been, he would have had a raised eyebrow and gave this man a look like, This brown sugar babe is already taken, sir, so you need to go and find your own. Anyway, one night, after a performance, I was at the table with my lawyer, Uncle P. And they had a cake for me, celebrating me. Here I was, 18 now, surrounded. By all these people, everybody was saying I was about to be the next big thing. And you would have thought I would have been happy. I must have looked around that table and realized how even with the shows, my name starting to get out there. And even with family members who I felt hated me all my life, suddenly treating me like I was this golden child. And I still felt alone felt like I was taking all these pictures and with every picture I smiled on. Every picture was a lie. I was with Corey, and he loved me so much and I cared for him too. I had a lawyer now, I believe NDIRE's manager or agent or some older white man who had something to do with that came to the studio just last week to meet me. I'd heard Mariah Carey's agent or somebody was interested. And you would think I would be happier than a hyena and my smile would be wider than a chess cat. But it wasn't. And I wasn't. I was sad. Even with all this and with what everybody was saying was about to happen for me. This little old black girl from Memphis, Tennessee. I was still suffering from the rejection of my dad not being there, molestation, and just a lot of unspoken pain that I still had in my heart. So I was smiling on all these pictures, but after these pictures and when I went home at night, I was drinking and crying after every other show. Imagine that, everybody else smiling and the star over here in the corner crying. And right at that table, when I realized that, I broke down right there in front of these imported people. I was a wreck. The table got so quiet and I got up and walked out. Uncle P came behind me and he hugged me just like a real uncle would. And he told me everything would be alright later that night. I went back to Uncle P's house, and we sat on the couch. I told him I apologized for breaking down at the table. I told him I was just so sad. Y'all saying I'm about to be famous, and I know I should be happy, but I'm not. I'm taking all these pictures, and I'm smiling, Uncle P, but I'm just not happy. He listened, and he folded his hands like he always did and put them in his lap. And he looked at me plainly and said, Well, Takaya, I hear you, and there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. But if you're gonna feel that way, you might as well get a song out of it. Once Uncle P told me that, he patted me on the shoulder and went to bed. I got up from that couch and ran into the guest room, grabbed the nearest notepad and pen I had, and I closed the door. I was in that room five minutes and the tears had already started streaming down my face and this song was halfway written and I was writing. Can I get a picture? Can I get some words that don't lie? Because that's how I felt. My meanest aunt came to one of my shows and told this white woman she was my mother and this woman treated me like she hated me all my life. I must have looked at this white woman so crazy when she told me, I've met your mom, and wow, she is so nice. And she pointed to my Aunt Tina. My mama looked with the raised eyebrows and said, no, I'm her mama. And this woman looked confused. So it was just like that. Y'all understand? Everybody's starting to be nice to me. I felt people started acting strange a little bit around me. All these important private shows and executives flying out to see me. And they telling me I'm some big star. All of that. And I still felt nothing. So I wrote about it. And a few days later, we recorded it. I don't know what was in that song. All I know is that whatever it was, It made even more white people who were even more important come to see me. I mean, these people were the top dogs of record companies and you wasn't going no higher than them. Atlantic Records, Warner Music, all kinds of people at the top. After that song was written and recorded, I had to put on a private show for them important people with my brother Sadie. And we performed that song with my harmonica. It was just so raw. Them folks must have looked at me like I was some sort of goddess or some. She is only 18 and she's riding like this? Then the next one, I overheard her saying to Uncle P, Oh, what a jewel you found. She's a superstar. Do you hear him? Calling me a superstar. Me. Takaya Monet White. Hmm. That's so crazy because I didn't feel like one.
1: I look lovely Don't my smile shine bright Like I got it all figured out When I can't think past tonight Don't my skin look flawless Like I've never been sad before But pictures do lie They're only for sure Can I get a picture But they Stay this time, or is the money why you love me? Since you're here right now, forget the past, abandon me. Smiling as Kodak's flash. Damn, why the truth is so sad? How could you miss all my words? the day
0: Thank you for listening to the Godly Chick Podcast. Tune in next Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear the continuation of Takaya's journey as well as her testimony. Don't forget to follow Godly Chick Ministries on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Godly Chick. That's G-O-D-L-Y-C-H-I-K. And always remember, when you know who you walking with, it ain't hard to be a Godly Chick. Have a blessed day, and I look forward to having you all here with me again next week.